breaking growth barriers. There's a place that a pastor or a ministry leader can be that it looks like there's a barrier. We're just, you know, going around a particular number. We have been 100 for the last two years. Or we have been 50 for so long. And how do we break this barrier? My first experience with breaking barriers was at Daystar Christian Center. Daystar started at a place called Coca Village, opposite uh, the State Secretariat in Alausa. And um, 1997, 1998, for like three years, from 96 down to 98, the church could not grow beyond 300. Yeah. My pastor was an astute speaker, you know, a man with, you know, with give up of utterance. He was on radio. People loved success power. I was producing success power. We used to stay in the studio together for a whole day sometimes. Those days of manual production, I'll have CDs. I'll pack them like this as we're leaving the car. Then you put it, you know, so there's power, a lot of music around it. Today, everything is digital. Those days, you have to, you know, put in one CD, the music will be playing, and then you give him a sign. Then you lower the volume, and then it comes in. This is success power. I am Sam. I do you <laughs> And then when it's almost and you give him signal, then it goes, then you push Ron Canoli up. Yes. And then, you know, like that's how I used to produce it, you know. You get into a studio, a studio in Surya Larry then, and do all the production. People loved the message. People loved to invite him everywhere. But yet, the church was not growing. Yes. I'm sure you have heard a story before that he had to talk to God that, look, God, if this church will not work, let me continue itinerary. The people who give the most offering, they were inviting him on Sunday. And God said, stay in the church. Church is not growing. Children are growing. <laughs> and there's need for school fees and chop money and all that. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So that's where the frustration starts to come from for a lot of us. So the church cannot pick your bills. Church is not growing. So I need to go out there and minister. If I aggregate uh, you know, seeds and offerings and all that, I'll be able to meet my needs. That's a dilemma of pastors. And a lot of us are still in that phase right now. And remember my pastor said, I'm going to take out time to pray. Went and prayed and said God told him, stay with this church. I told you you're going to be a pastor and pastor of pastors. How can you be pastor of pastors if you're not pastoring? He said, stay there. Then he stayed there. And he's in staying there that then God started to open his eyes. Someone gave him a book, The Purpose Driven Church. I can't remember the second one, the two books. And then he started to read. And he called us into a meeting and said, guys, sit down. We're going to dissect this book. We're going to tear it into pieces. But something is coming out of it for us. And then we created a blueprint for restructuring the Star Christian Center. The first restructuring exercise uh, um, was uh, 99. And Daystar took a new turn. In the, in the session that we took the other time, you had when he said, you know, we started training system, started this and that, and things started to change. Things started to change gradually. Then broke the first barrier, over 500. And then from there, broke into 1,000. I remember a meeting we had, and my pastor drew a line like this. He said, this line, he wrote 1,000. Drew another line on top of it. And said, the gap between this line and that one is 1,000 people. This next line is 2,000. This is where we are now, 1,000. How can we break this barrier and move to this next line of 2,000? With a flip chart. And we all sat down, about seven of us, and we're looking. Hey, I say it now, you are the pastor. Say it. <laughs> he said, guys, you know what? The, dis the distance between here and here is capacity. I am a pastor of 1,000. You need to become pastors of 1,000 for me to move to two. In my mind, I'm already at the two. But you people are not at the one.
This is not even on my own slide. I'm just talking as the Holy Spirit is directing me. To break barriers, you need to be deliberate about leadership development, about raising leaders. So, and that takes me to my first point on how to break growth barriers. Grow from being a pastor shepherd to being a pastor leader. To break barriers, you need to grow from being a pastor shepherd to being a pastor leader. A pastor leader. There's a difference between a pastor shepherd and a pastor leader. A pastor shepherd takes care of the sheep. All right? The pastor leader is a rancher. The pastor leader takes care of shepherds. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah. A rancher is not in charge of the sheep. He's in charge of the shepherds because he has a ranch and there are shepherds within the ranch. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah. To break growth barriers, a pastor has to shift from being a pastor shepherd to a pastor leader. And a pastor leader is a rancher. Yeah. His focus and his assignment is primarily the people who are leading, not the people that they are leading. I said his focus primarily is on the people who are leading, not the people that they are leading. Are you guessing me? The pastor leader focuses more on the call from yesterday's talk. Can you remember the call if you're here yesterday? The pastor leader focuses on the call and perhaps the committed and leaves the call to pay more attention to the committed and the crowd of the church or the congregation of the church. It presupposes that the pastor leader will have to start dropping certain things. It's not easy, because I know what, how these guys used to fight me. PG, you can't, you can't be doing that, you know. PG, don't do that, TJ. <laughs> Idris. No, PG, you can't show up at that. You know, you leave that one. You know the truth? What I just said now would be easier for you if you are an apostle, you have an apostolic grace, it will be easier for you if you are maybe a teacher, an itinerant uh, person by a hand, or an evangelist, it will be easier for you. But if you are a teaching pastor, a pastor, it's not going to be easy. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Because to even think about it that your church can be existing and people will be having naming and weddings and you won't be there. In your heart, you feel like you're a bad pastor. <laughs> Am I saying the truth? But what you don't know is that your responsibility is to raise people who will do the naming. You, your church will not grow beyond a hundred if you are the one that will name all the babies. <laughs> I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying. Yeah. Because we're talking breaking growth barriers here. In a church like Daystar, 30,000 people, how many weddings do you think Pastor Sam does in a year? Nothing. <laughs> At most, one or two. Maybe the daughter of a pastor is getting married, and then he shows up. Yeah. He told us many, many years ago, he said, at a point, he started telling us, the most senior associates, that you, it's only if an area coordinator or a leader is naming a child that you show up. Uh, normal, uh, ordinary church members, you know, let the zonal pastors go and do it. The most senior pastors, no. Yeah. I can't even, I do, I, I'm not even sure he has named a baby in how many years. <laughs> Except he's a baby of uh, a family member and they constrained him. Yeah. At the point, he started naming only babies of the pastors. Like he named my babies, for instance. Yeah, it's just the pastors. He expects me to name the babies of other people. <laughs> and since I only have two, his job is easy. <laughs> I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, 
Because there are more important things. Are those things important? Yes. But those are, you know, shepherding things. Ceremonies, things that connect us with people. Those are shepherding things. That when a church is well organized, maybe in small groups and all that, there are people who will show up to do what your church family should do. We're talking about growing a church big. You can't have a church of 1,000 and the senior pastor names all the babies. Last Sunday, we dedicated about 15 babies here. Yeah, every, every month we dedicate between 15, 20, or 25. And those are not all the naming that we have done. So if that's all I want to be doing, that means every week I'll do like, you know, within one month I'll do like three or four. But we have zonal pastors, we have area coordinators, we have other associates who will do all that. And gradually you need to be able to communicate it so that people understand that it's not because church is growing now that you cannot see pastor again. There are people who have been trained and empowered to do the things that I normally will do. And they will do it well. Some of them will even do it better than me because it's the area of office. And it's for us to be able to let go. So you see the difference between a pastor leader and a pastor shepherd. Pastor leader delegates some of his authority. Pastor shepherd is not, you know, too, <laughs> it's, it's not so too senior uh, to a good farm hand. I'm, I'm saying that it's just like any other person in the house that is just working because he has refused to let go. The pastor shepherd knows everybody. Yeah. The pastor leader has the ability to manage details. You, 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 you need to understand what details are important for my work. In business, we say you need to separate operational issues from strategic issues. That's the language in the business world. Operational issues, strategy issues. A business leader, the primary focus, focus of a business leader is strategic thinking and how we're going to move the business forward strategically. There's a difference between doing the business and growing the business. The operations of a business and how we're going to grow it. A lot of the time, you can't do both at the same time. Or at least one must skew higher in percentage than the other. You can't put... You can't be doing 70% of doing the business and 30% of growing the business. The business will not grow because you are the leader. The most senior leadership team must first of all invest more time into strategic input than day-to-day -day operations. Yeah. That's why we need to raise people. You know what the apostles said in the book of Acts? We will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the world. Say, look amongst you for people that we can place on this business. What's the business? Operations. Making sure there are no more money, people are being served well and not. That's operations. But they consider prayer and the ministry of the world as being the strategic input that only leaders can make at certain levels. So they said, we will pay attention to that. Then we will raise people so they were moving from being pastor shepherd to pastor leaders, to ranchers. So, we'll, so they called the deacons, who would then focus on operations and impart them with grace to be able to do it excellently. Yeah. Impart them with grace to be able to do it excellently. See, if you, if you have my kind of temperament, you will struggle to do the things I'm talking about because I had my share of struggle. Yeah. When you are, when you, when you are very detailed in your thinking, you, you are given to action, yeah? You, you, are, you are so active, you understand? Always thinking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'll be asking questions. Eh, where, where's PT? What's he doing now? Eh, <laughs> where's Pastor TJ? Eh, has this one been done? Eh, you want to be involved with everything. <laughs> you know, always very active. My mind is always... <laughs> Sometimes you have to just slow yourself down and say, look, nothing will spoil. Let this person carry this thing and do it. Now I feel like I'm doing better at it. We had a program in January, for instance, our annual uh, Business Outlook event, which is for the business community. Big program. Pastor CJ 
you know, stair date. And we didn't talk for, on that thing. Maybe we talked three or four times, really. So we just put a call through to him. TJ, how's the planning going? So everything is cool. And I told Peter, I said, just make sure that you <laughs> just follow through with him. Just make sure that everything. And then I showed up on the day of the event. I just asked them, okay, so what do you want me to do at the place? He said, PG, you just open. I open a bit. It's okay. I just come and just, <laughs> and then brought him up. Yeah. And it was a big event. We had the business community. We invited the federal minister, you know, and all that. How they invited minister, I didn't know anything about it. Eventually, when the minister said the vice president called him for them to go to Abia State, the minister called me himself to tell me uh, uh, um, one of my special, senior special assistants will be representing me at, the, at your event. I'm extremely sorry. This was what came up. Prof just called now. We're heading out to Abia State, you know, and all that. We've never spoken before, before then. <laughs> they did everything. They got in touch with the minister. They did, you know. All the speakers at some of those events, I've never met them before. But they know how to get into the church and look for people who know them, who are friends with them, and they use that. A lot of people, times people come to do, especially events that are not purely ministry-based. People come, I'm, I'm meeting them for the first time when they come, Abby. Yeah. But they know how to get them. Yeah. We've had events where we had MDs or banks, different things. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know them. It's when they come here that I now meet them. So you can't do everything. I mean, just think about it. Unarguably, the biggest denomination in Nigeria today is Redeem. How many things do you think Pastor Deboe does in Redeem? When he decided that they will have model parishes, he lost control of those model parishes. You can't have both growth and control together. You have to choose one. <laughs> yeah. And when I talk about control, I'm not saying you have to lose control of everything. You put a system in place, policies and all that, to manage control so that people already know the boundary and latitude. But on a daily basis, you want to sit on top of everybody's neck, your work is not going to grow. It's not going to grow. A ministry can't blow out like that if you have to sit on everything. You raise people who can sit on it. You, you, you make, you know, policies and decisions available so everybody knows. And then they can run with it. But how they are running, let them run. If they fall, they will rise again. Yeah. And then you will know the each person's strength and where to help. If somebody falls somewhere, you lift them up, and next time, you, it's that you don't put them there, or you tell them what to do better. If somebody stay with me today. Glory be to Jesus. So to break growth barriers, you have to become a pastor leader. Secondly, create a crowd-pulling strategy. Yeah. We have emphasized that in tidbits all through the conference. Uh, Pastor Bolaji spoke about evangelism yesterday um, at the breakout on publicity and advertising. We spoke about how you can get people's attention on social media. We spoke about that too. Many things around it, but I'll just drop one or two more hints on it. See, church growth is about impact on people. After we have prayed, and I love Pastor Yemi's session and how it steered us up to want to pray more. Our prayer should then push us into the harvest and not make us feel comfortable that we have prayed. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. You know, some, some believers have this attitude of when you are finished praying, just sit down. You just see God. God will just move. And God is saying, my son, you too move. When you move, I follow you. I'm already here because you have prayed me down. Yeah, but you have to move. You have to move. My pastor used to say that uh, when you have all-night prayer meeting and you refuse to do something, nothing after, you get to church, there will be plenty of angels, but not human beings. Because when you pray, you call on heaven's resources. Angelic and all kinds, they will show. 
They are supposed to help you do something. But since you have refused to do nothing, they will just come and they will fellowship with you. So a lot of, a lot of you know, young ministries with very prayerful people who are not moving to leverage prayer and prayer effort. Yeah. You see, when we pray that God touches the heart of people in our area, and we pray, and God really touches their heart, we have to go and then harvest them. Yeah. Not all of them will just walk in. Even the ones that are walking, if they don't meet us where, they will go back. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Sometimes a prayer effort can lead to people just discovering your church. It just looks like a cloud that has been covering their face, just removed. And everybody's talking about the church and they're coming in. But when are they coming to meet? After all the prayer effort and fasting, are, are we starting to capture something that we need to do differently or not? If not, we'll waste all that spiritual energy. And it's a pity if we're wasting spiritual energy because that's not the will of God. He wants us to maximize it. Yeah. Ask of me the heathen and the uttermost part of the earth for your possession and I'll give them to you. After we have asked and God has released, do we have the right tools? Harvest will be easy when you have the right tools. Harvest will be easy when you have the right people. Go to large farms. Pastor Wale here has farms. Pastor Wale, when you get into large farms, you need the right people with the right skills, you need the right tools. You can't use hoe to harvest cocoa. You need a sickle. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. You used to just bring it down like that. You need the right tools. You need the right people, the right skills. And it's, it's based on investment that has been made and the follow-through in thinking and just asking the right questions. So we need to create, you know, crowd-pulling strategy because church growth, breaking barriers, is about human beings. Yeah, it's about human beings. One of the ways we do that, I'll just mention one or two and move to my next point. The time is almost gone. One of the ways you do that is to pay attention to high attendance days. High attendance days. What do I mean by high attendance days? You can create your high attendance day. Yeah, you can create it by, you know, having special events that are not tasking events or tasking programs. High attendance days, you know, uh, will help you to build momentum within the church. Uh, the value of a special high attendance day, it, it builds morale, it impresses your community, it increases your prospect list, people who can come to your church, it enlarges the vision of your members, it focuses people's prayers. Yeah, because we can then pray to say, look, we are 60 now. Let's concentrate our effort. We're having this special program and we want to bring in 40 people so that that particular Sunday we'll make 100 chairs available. We will do this program well. For young churches, make your high attendance days Sunday service. Don't do plenty of special program that just dissipate effort. People will come and enjoy the anointing of the program and go back to their churches. Yeah. Yeah. Do your high attendance events on Sundays. Sometimes you can do it midweek. Once in a while, you can do a special event. But you see, one thing about having high attendance event on Sundays is that it's sustainable. If you are renting a venue, you have already paid. You understand? You don't have to pay extra. You get what I'm saying? Uh -huh. Your instrument is your instrument. Your people will be available to do what they need to do. Yeah. And people can feel your church like it will be as a church. They won't come for an event and say, eh, maybe it's just because they have a guest minister. Maybe that church is not that. Let them come on Sunday. I recommend for young churches at least one event a month on a Sunday. First Sunday of the month, last Sunday of the month, third Sunday of the month, whichever one. That people can invite their friends to. Some of our members need excuse to be able to invite people. I, I mean, somebody who is posing to you as a Christian. Say, which church do you go? You know, most people in Lagos say, redeem. Am I saying the truth? Yes. 
Because it's the biggest church, I say redeem. Yeah. Meanwhile, you don't go to church. And you know. If you say they should come to your church on Sunday, they'll say, no, I have my own church. But if you say we have this special event, you know, it's a special, maybe special Valentine event, or do you know this special prayer gathering on a Sunday morning, you know, and all that. They will come. Just, you just have to have something special about it or special, you know, worship event. They will come because there's something special about it. it you don't even have to have a special guest. That's the funny thing. They, you just have to posture the event as being special. Yeah. You don't have to have a special uh, teaching minister or anything like that. You just have to posture it as being special. Yeah. And let's focus prayers on it, stretch our people's faith, you know, and give the members the opportunity to invite their, their unbelieving friends and unchurched friends, whether put a, uh, produce invitation cards or just word of mouth. You know, so many people will be saved and they will come back and it increases the pool of volunteer workers and before you know it. It sounds simple, but many churches itching for growth, they don't have a systematic way of bringing in more guests. You can only retain people who have visited your church. They have to come once before they can become members. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. So the major task in, in breaking growth barriers is then to bring people to make them walk through the door of the church. It's very important. It's very important. So, uh, um, let me skip a bit and, 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 and talk about, say talking about high attendance day. You can leverage on natural high attendance days to also break growth barriers. How do I mean? There are natural high attendance days in every country and every region. For instance, in America, Christmas and Easter, it's natural high attendance. People who don't go to church normally will go to church. Mother's Day and Father's Day, for them in America, is natural high attendance. For us here, what nice service is natural high attendance? You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes Thanksgiving Sunday in certain regions of the country is natural high attendance. Yeah. That people just want to go to church. Easter Sunday. Yeah. First Sunday of the month, people want to go to church. Yeah. What are you going to do that day? It's something you have to think about way ahead of time. How do you want to leverage on Valentine, for instance, to just do something on a Sunday that is closest to it and let people come? Or on a day that is closest to it or something to just bring more people in? It's, it's called leveraging on natural high attendance day. This is a day that is already in people's heart to want to go to church. Your members just need to approach them to say, we have a special event this day, will you come? And you just see the same church that has been struggling to get five guests, five new, uh, uh, newcomers on a natural attendance day can get 20. Because the day that people want to go to church. We need to be able to leverage on that and you know, do something uh, differently. I will advocate that most high attendance days, as much as possible, once in a while we can have a guest, let's not make it all about guest speaker. Let the pastor preach. Yeah. Let the pastor preach. But let's manage the service well. Let's package the service well so that everybody is on their beat and people come and they get blessed. Is somebody still with me today? I said, are you still here? Number three, I'm jumping. So you need to jump with me. Number three, beware of sociological strangulation. It sounds like big grammar, but I'm going to explain. Yeah. This term came from C.P. Wagner, professor of church growth uh, um, Fuller Theological Seminary in California. Sociological strangulation, this happens when the church is bogged down by its own seeming success. And it plays out this way. It plays out from the point of view of Space. Space. If you have a space for 100 people, by the time you have 70 to 80 people, you feel like we have tried. You feel full and stretch your capacity. Then you need more space. Sociological strangulation is what happens when you realize that the space that you are using can sit 200 or 300. 
The moment you eat 150, if you can say 200, you eat 150, 160, you need to think about it because at that point, the church may not be growing again. Yeah, because we have eat a particular, it's between 70 to 80% usage of your space. There's a way, you know, uh, um, psychologically, it just affects people's mind. They stop inviting people, they feel that we're, we're okay. Yeah, uh-uh, see people now. Yeah, well, 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 plenty. One of the ways to deal with sociological strangulation is you can break into multiple services or get a bigger venue. Yeah, get a bigger venue. Some pastors don't like multiple services because you don't want to preach too many times on a Sunday morning. Then, trust God for a bigger venue. Yeah, trust God for a bigger venue. But if you, are, if you have to keep growing your church, you need to be aware of sociological strangulation. Don't get too emotionally attached to a particular venue to the detriment of you know, the redemptive potentials of your church. Get too emotionally attached to a venue. You don't want to leave. That's why sometimes it's not good to build too soon. Because when you build too soon, Rick Warren said they, they used, I think about 30 or 50 venues within the space of uh, the first 15 years of their church. And in the first 15 years of the church, they didn't even build. They're just moving from one place to the other, you know, until they got this massive acreage. I've been there a few times in Orange County in Southern California where they, they had all kinds of different types of halls. Yeah. But they, they didn't build too soon. If you start a church... In a hotel, for instance, and the hall is no longer containing you, I will ask that you either break into two services or look for a bigger venue. When you get a space that is your own, where you don't have to pack instruments and do all that, it's your own space. Make sure it's a space that can take you for a while and you can break services there. If not, still get a bigger space that where you still have to do all the parking. Yeah. God will give you grace for it. Yeah. But you have to uh, do your part in, in knowing when to break the services or move to a new place. It's easier to break services than to look for new venues. Because new venues would mean that you, you are almost like starting from scratch you have to, you know, buy more chairs, do this, do that. On the short term, if you break multiple services, if you have 100 chairs, you can still continue to use those 100 chairs without that capital investment. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah. On, because you can grow a church to 200, even to 250, in a hall that can sit 100 while you are doing three services. People can laugh at you. How many are they? They're doing three services. But you know what you're doing. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Because it's a lot more work sometimes, especially when you are looking. You are looking. You are searching. You can't get a space. Don't keep looking. Break another service. To break another service, you just need to prepare the mind of your people and empower them more and encourage them more. And then you have to know that when you are breaking services, you can't run one service for three hours. Yeah. Services have to be shorter. People will get tired. The workers, I mean. Number four, to break growth barriers, please be aware of the fact that you will need to look into staffing. You will need to look into staffing. Sometimes, just not staffing the church properly can limit the growth of the church. When a church starts, the pastor is the only staff. Even the pastor may not be paid. So all of us are volunteers. But after a while, you must recognize the fact that if your church is not ready to pay any price for certain level of expertise, the church may not grow beyond a particular point. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah. It's been realized that when you bring in new people to focus on the work, 
the church grows, and the church grows beyond the capacity to even pay them. That's what happens. Yeah. As you bring new people, they help to focus on the work. See, there are certain things that cannot be done when time is available, that have to be done immediately. And it's when you identify those areas, key areas, and start to say, look, who can pick up this and do it as a paid job? Or maybe part-time, but it's having some kind of remuneration. So that with that kind of remuneration, we can hold him or her accountable. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. It's very, very important. Extremely important. And when we talk about hiring staff, I want you to see it from two dimensions. A church will grow if we staff the strategic areas of our operation that need people's attention, as in full-time attention. Also, mobilizing members into ministry is extremely important. Yeah, mobilizing members into ministry. Not every area. You won't get somebody to fit to come and be paid by the church. The church may not even be able to afford it. But what are you doing to get more commitment from people who are not even willing to be paid to do the job? It's very important. So there is a balance of the two. We need people to push the church into its destiny who can focus on a different aspect of ministry and do it well. If not, we won't break certain barriers. Yeah, we won't be able to break certain barriers. Glory be to Jesus. I can tell you stories upon stories upon stories right from my Daystar days to Elevation Church where you bring people on staff and something will change. Something just changes. Yeah. Something just changes. When our church started, a few weeks later, we had only one staff who was my PA and also does a bit of the administrative runs, you know. He's now one of our pastors. And then, a little later, Pastor T relocated from the UK and joined us. It was a world of difference. Yeah. There are many things on a, on a regular basis, like we're sitting in the office, that I don't have to think about again. Yeah. And it freed my mind to do many other things. Yeah. And then, from that, uh, um, one more staff, one more staff. Our communications department is... The, the, the biggest in terms of staffing today. That unit was not a paid unit before. It was just locating one or two people who have skills in the area of media and communication and started out as a volunteer team in church. After a while, we realized that this has become an area of strength for us. We have to staff it. Yeah. When our church started... How much money do we have? We don't need an accountant. We just need somebody to help us look at the books and make sure everything is working well. Pastor TJ was there as administrator from day one. But after a while, it's not full-time yet, and we needed more regular, you know, this thing on it. We had to hire an accountant. Now we have two accountants in that department. And it's, it's changing a lot of things. You think that you're paying money and you know, money is going. Money is not going. Money is coming. I'm telling you the truth because what they will save you, you, you don't even know now what your church can do better and how grace and money and resources is leaking away from the church until somebody is watching it. You remember the story of uh, the sons of the prophet and Elijah? They came to call him. The place where we are is too small for us. This is the idea we have. Follow us. Let's go and cut trees so that we can build a bigger place. And the Bible says they borrow axes and then they went. And as they were cutting trees, what happened? The axe head fell into the water and they couldn't find it again. When they went to meet the prophet, what did the prophet tell them? He said, show me where it fell in. Yeah. Then they cut a small tree, drop it at that spot, and the axe had floated. If they said we didn't know where it fell in, what would have happened? When you don't have people manage specific areas of ministry, you won't know what is draining, what is going. Grace cannot find expression when you are not detailed like that. 
When the prophet, why did the prophet ask the question? Where did he fall? Where, where, where did he fall? That particular place. Where is the place where, it, where you know, it fell? And they, they were able to say, here, right here, is that place. Throw something there. The accent floated. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Whether it's paid staff or volunteers, people must be able to man different things and do them if you want to push the church forward. Glory be to Jesus. And lastly for today, break personal growth limits as a pastor. Break personal growth limit. Develop a deliberate personal growth plan. How many books are you going to read in 2017? Now you are at Exponential. Is there any other conference or training that you need to attend in 2017? Yeah. What kind of books do you want to read? It's very important. I love to read spiritual books. I love to read leadership books. I love to read business books and management books. Yeah. I love to read stuff around what's going on in the media world. I love, I love to be conversant with what's going on around me. Yeah. I'm on a study plan now from January. Old Testament. I'm studying about Israel and the kings of Israel. I'm going to do that maybe till mid-year before I change gear. So I've, this year now, I've read 1 uh, um, Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. Yeah, I'm on 2 Kings. And then I moved to Chronicles. Yeah. It's a personal study plan. And a lot of these study plans are available. Go on you version. You'll see different kind of study plans. Just Google Bible study plan. You'll see all sorts. There's a study plan that can take you through the Bible the entire year. We can't be telling people to read the Bible and you don't read. Any pastor that does not have anything to preach, the first indication is that the pastor is not reading the Bible. That's the first indication. I'm telling you the truth. If you are reading the Bible on a daily basis, you won't lack something to preach. Something will jump from there into your heart. Yeah. When you say Holy Ghost, what should I say? It will bring one of those things back into your mind. Anytime your mind is blank, your spirit looks blank, you don't have anything to preach, it's an indication that you have not been reading the Bible. Yeah. You can't be reading the Bible on a daily basis. I, I mean, I, on the opening day, I was, I was quoting from 1 Kings 19. Elijah. He says, eat for the journey is far. That was, I studied that that morning. I read it that morning. It was part of my, you understand what I'm saying? I, while I was reading the Bible that morning, I read that. When I got here, the Holy Spirit reminded me of that. You can't be reading the Bible as a pastor and you won't have what to say. Are you still with me today? Yeah. Because you need to break your own personal growth limit. The church grows in the heart of a pastor. The business grows in the heart of a business owner. When I grow, the church will grow. Are you still with me today? Also, you need to create accountability structures. Yeah. See, part of breaking your own growth barrier, your own personal growth limit. Create accountability structures around yourself, around your life. Don't be a person that nobody can talk to. Yeah. There's a way you can do a 360 degrees accountability structure. You must have mentors. You must have peers who can talk to you. And then even the people underneath you should be able to appeal to your conscience and bring some things to your awareness. You should not be the high priest that cannot be touched. I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, some, some people want to show up like high priest, I have spoken. Like the king of their village and just walk away. No, it won't work like that. Someone should be able to say, Pastor, have you noticed something? Or Pastor, don't you think that we should, you should consider this? And then you will listen. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Because your posture is important as to whether they will give you suggestion or not. You know, there's some kind of suggestion they will tell you. It's a waste of time talking to Pastor about that one. You won't listen. Yeah. And maybe that's what will change something that we're doing wrongly. But the body language of the pastor is that if you come near, I'll conk your head. Yeah. 
For the pastor to grow, we must give room to accountability. Yeah. We must give room to accountability. We must deal with distractions. I wrote here the four Ds of fatal attraction or distraction. Desire, doubt, deception, disobedience. Anytime you see that your desires are facilitating, you are the things that you used, I mean, you didn't used to desire before, you are now desiring them. Like David. You know, I was meditating this morning, I thought like, if David, if was David, David was in this generation, you know, as a king, he would have been hooked up pornography. Yeah. Have you thought about that before? Because they only saw Bathsheba bathing once and then landed her in the bed. These days, you don't need to go on top of anywhere. Just look on your phone. You'll find it. So if David was living today, it would have taken many people's wives. Because you'll be seeing it. Even the ones you don't recognize, then you go and look for them, Abby. Or what? He had a bad problem. And it was because, you know, he couldn't deal with fatal attractions. Pastors, can we be real? Yeah. When your spirit starts to facilitate, you will be having funny temptations. You should know at that time. Is it that you are tired spiritually, emotionally, or physically? And you need to recuperate. <laughs> yeah. When things that were not getting your attention before start to get your attention, you need to know that something is wrong. I need to slow down. Yeah. A lady that will walk past you before, you won't even notice her. Now, the moment she walks past, you'll just be looking, ah, I'm a lele. There's a problem. Just tell yourself, there's a problem. Before you become like David, there's a problem. There's a problem. And you need to check it. Sometimes you may even be praying, but you are emotionally tired and drained. Elijah was feeling suicidal because he was tired. All that God did when God showed up to Elijah, he didn't say pray. He allowed him to sleep and gave him food. And then woke him again, gave him food. And told him, eat, because the journey is far. You are tired, physically and emotionally. That's why you are becoming suicidal. And then he told him, he said, you know what? There are 7,000 prophets who have not bowed their knees to bear. So you don't have to freak out. Just wake up. <laughs> are you still with me today? Yeah, you don't have to freak out. Just wake up. Emotional tiredness can make you sell your bad right. Esau told Jacob, what is this still to me? I mean, what is uh, bad right to me? Seeing that I am wearied, I am famished. Pastors, you want your church to grow, the pastor needs to have a way of replenishing spiritually, emotionally, physically. Yeah. If not, we'll be like Esau. Esau sold his birthright just because of a morsel of bread that the Bible put it. A stew of lentils. Yeah. And his excuse was that I'm fainting. Yeah. I'm fainting. Like I said, sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's just emotional weariness. And you need to deal with it. If not, you put, you know, a, a real limitation in front of you. And when a pastor is in that state, everything is very, you know, opaque, not quite clear. You know, you are just, you are just floating. Huh? Have you been there before? You're just floating and doing ministry. Grace is just carrying you. You yourself know that if, <laughs> if anything happens now, <laughs> if I fall like this, I'll just break into pieces. So it's the wind that's carrying you. Let it just carry you past that Sunday. And on Monday, go and sleep. Eat. You know, sometimes pastors, can I encourage some of us? I fast a lot. But sometimes Monday is not a good day to fast. Because we're already tired from Sunday. Why will you not have Monday to eat? Rest on Monday. Start the fasting on Tuesday. Catch your breath. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Uh, see, what I'm saying now 
is not written in James chapter 1 or anywhere. It's from experience, what the fathers have told us. <laughs> you need to catch your breath. Ministry is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah, it's a marathon. Some of us don't get home on Sundays till 10 p.m. You do, do, cancer. See, go and do, Nemi. See, go and. Some of us have preaching to do in the evening, Monday evening or Sunday evening. And then on Monday, you can't eat. You can't rest. Wait now. Rest on Monday. Eat good food. If that's the only day in the week that you eat good food, eat it that day. You can even carry yourself out. Yeah. If nobody will celebrate, you celebrate yourself now. Tell yourself that message yesterday was powerful. I deserve under the arm today. And give yourself a treat. You can start fasting from Tuesday. So except the congressional fast that we have declared we are doing 40 days or 30 days and Mondays are in between, you hardly catch me fasting on Monday. Yeah. The truth is that eventually I rest so much, I may not even have more than one or two meals. But it's a day to catch your breath and think a bit about, see in the Old Testament, they were killing people for not observing the Sabbath. You think God is wicked? Sabbath was a law. We can't say now because we are not in the dispensation of law, then we stretch this grace too much and be killing ourselves. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Humans, we are not created to work every day. If, we, if God created us to work every day, they, it won't be in the Ten Commandments. I, I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. I didn't create myself. God did. In his laws, he said there must be one day to rest. We can't break the law. We can only break ourselves against the law. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. And as a point you get to, grace does not cover that because it's an issue of common sense. Glory be to Jesus. I said, glory be to Jesus. We're breaking barriers. I said, we're breaking barriers. We're going to use the spiritual power, raw. Intellectual power, raw. Emotional strength, physical strength, and break barriers. Yeah. Yeah. And that will only be possible when you pay attention to your strength. It will only be possible when you pay attention to your strength from time to time. If the axe is dull, then there's need for more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. Wisdom is profitable to direct. 